Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 4, Episode 7. Brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. Can you believe they're on episode seven already in 2019? It only seems like yesterday that I was struggling to remember to put 2019 on all of my emails and checks and things like that. But here we are almost two months in, and we're almost two months into this special series we've been doing this year called The Newness of You. My name, again, is Rick. Um, I'm author of Spiritual Grit and Jesus-Centered Life and editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible. And today, um, right out of Bend, Oregon, we have the Becky Nader with us today. Hi, Hi. Becky. Becky's had, let's say, a heck of a day. A heck you want to just give us, you want to give us the 30-second rundown on your heck of a day? Well, I left the house in a hurry to an appointment. Well, actually, I started out with a client of mine is in the hospital. I don't know what's going on, and I have to reschedule all of their publicity for the next week. So I started that at 6 o'clock this morning, then left the house for an appointment and got on the highway and realized that my tire is completely flat, and I had to deal with that and was late for my appointment and then had to rush back here and get on this podcast. But this is how I do my greatest episodes is in total chaos. So here we go. This is how, this is how Becky rolls. You know, it reminds me when you told me everything that happened to you today, um, this last week when we, I was leading our small group on Tuesday night, we were in the middle of a, of a incredible conversation about myth busting in terms of myth busting Jesus myth. And I, we were talking about one myth that's in our culture that Jesus' primary mission in our life is to bring us greater happiness. These teams had to separate out and take on one of these myths about Jesus and then either decide with their evidence that it was a true myth or a false myth. And one of the groups was arguing against this idea that Jesus, his primary focus was to come and bring us happiness. And there were other groups that were arguing for it. But this group, the spokesperson from this group was a young teenage girl who in the middle of the conversation looked at me and said, with kind of tears in her eyes, she said, the truth is the most important uh, moments in my life, the turning points of my life, the times when I felt the closest to Jesus were when things were falling down all around me. And so for me to say that Jesus's intent to, was, is to bring me happiness in those happy moments of my life would be to obliterate all of these moments where I felt so close to him. And it's funny that you've had, it's not funny, you've had a horrible chaotic day where things have happened that you would never say, Jesus, could could you script it so that my tires are slashed today? Because that would really make me feel closer to you. <laughs> we don't do that stuff. But the truth is that there is leverage around this stuff. And I think the reason why, you know, sometimes our best even podcasts surround sort of chaos and disappointment in our life is we really do 
get jammed a little closer to Jesus. We need him a little more. Our thirst for him is a little more palpable. And that's really, unfortunately, when we're at our best, <laughs> when we're more consciously aware of our need for him, we're really at our best. And, uh, and I think part of our mission, even in this podcast, uh, recognizing that that's true, is to live more dependently on him when we don't have to. Live more dependently and close to him when we don't feel driven to it. That is a great mission to have. And is it possible to live in an everyday way close to him? Yes, it is. We don't have to be leveraged into it all the time, but the leverage definitely helps. And then this series is about how do we find transformation in our life? How do we become the best version of ourselves? And, and we're, we're saying that the, the typical conventional ways we do that by trying harder to get better, not only don't work, but they're not the Jesus way. This is not how Jesus transformed people's lives. And so we're slowing down to pay attention to how he did transform lives and then considering whether we could invite that in our life. And in this seventh episode of the series, um, we're going to turn our attention to this unlikely, unexpected source of transformation that we discover in many of Jesus' encounters with people, but it's hiding in plain sight. What, that, that this thing that's transforming people is right there, but we don't recognize what it is. It's, uh, I like to call it the profound impact we experience when we're invited into something. To be invited in is powerfully transforming. Another way of saying that is when we become insiders, when we've always felt like outsiders, is transformational. Or when we have that thirst to be invited into some kind of relational circle that we really respect, and we finally find ourselves drinking from that well, it can change our whole lives. So I thought it'd be good, Becky, if you and I talked a little bit about the dynamic of this sense of being invited in when we didn't really expect to be invited in, when we expected to be outsiders and instead somebody makes us insiders and what impact that has on us. So you were telling me the other day about an experience you just had with that. Could you, I'd love for you to tell that story again. So um, I have, I've been talking about like my involvement with the more than me movement, but the truth of the matter is that I was a complete outsider. I was following the more than me movement on Instagram. I was following some of the women that were involved on Instagram and I was just watching what was going on. I was, you know, clicking the little heart button on posts and watching stories and interested in what was going on. Um, but I was definitely an outsider. And then one day um, I got a message from Tiffany Smiley. She's the founder. And she said, I just saw your Instagram feed and I read some of your posts. Can we talk on the phone? <laughs> on the phone. And I was like, what? Do people talk on the phone anymore? <laughs> <laughs> you are such a millennial. <laughs> I know. So, so she, she wanted to talk to me on the phone. And so she invited me into relationship on the phone. This was back in July and we had a conversation and she wanted to hear my story. She wanted to hear what Jesus had done in my heart and in my life and um, what that was all about. And then I was not in any place where I could really do anything other than deal with what I was dealing with at that time. But then when all of that was over, she invited me a little bit further and said, I want you to come to Boise. And so I showed up in Boise and I just came and I observed and I was an attendee. And then she said, 
I want you to come to this after party after the event. And so I went to the after party and I was around all of these kind of insiders that were behind the scenes. And okay, then I, have after, to, I, have to, I have to stop you. So okay. as you're talking about this progression of being invited in, what's going through your heart and mind when this is happening? I mean, what not, am just, I, what are you, not what you're thinking, but what you're feeling. I was thinking like, what am I doing here? Um, I don't belong here. These women are incredible. They're like successful. They're gorgeous. They're like just out there doing like really risky and audacious things with their lives. And I just felt like, wow, what, how did I even get here? I was on feel, Instagram. Did you feel honored, intimidated? Both equally, <laughs> <laughs> equally, you know, and, and a little like humbled, honestly, humbled to be there. And and then this, this relationship has just continued to do this where, okay, now I want you to host this podcast for us. And now I want you to join us weekly on these calls where there's just five women and we're talking about the future of this organization. Um, and I have to say, like, I still feel so honored and humbled to be here. Like this is, this is a huge honor for somebody who was just passively watching from afar on an Instagram feed to now be on weekly calls to, to be someone that I get to be a part of this in a, in a way that I didn't start this. I wasn't on the ground up. Some of these women have been doing, talking about this for years. And so it's humbling. It's a humbling experience to get to be here. So if you let, let's imagine that you're your own anthropologist and you're studying Becky uh -huh. and you're standing back and you're studying as an anthropologist, what's going on in Becky and your, your particular focus is what did this process, how did this process impact your sense of identity? What would you say happened along this path to the narrative you have about your identity, the sense you have about who you are, how valuable you are? Do you have something really to give? Who am I really? How did this process impact that? I think that many people can probably relate to this and some of you might be surprised by this, but I think that I have a self-limiting narrative in my head where I always say, oh, well, well, you couldn't do that. You couldn't be in that position. You, you could be behind the scenes, like maybe organizing for that person, but you couldn't be in this position. And so I've always, Rick, you know this, like I tend to throw myself behind the scenes of other people. I'm the person who's the engine that pushes forward. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I like that position in a lot of ways, but I think I have self-limiting beliefs about myself. And so to continue now to be in this is giving, it's fearful. I'm afraid usually, and I want to do a good job. But at the same time, I think it's starting to grow some passion in me some passion to help other women move forward and also to be the kind of person who says, Hey, come along. Mm -hmm. No, come along closer to me. No, I want you to be more in relationship with me. So we long and long and long to be inside, not outside. When all of a sudden we are invited inside. Oh boy. It sets off all kinds of things, all kinds of chain reactions inside of us. And it surfaces things like you just said, because, of course, to be in the background, there's, you're totally right. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's also a safer place to be, isn't it? Much safer. Yeah. And, and we, we crave that kind of safety. And yet we also don't crave that kind of safety. We long to live out of our true identity, to live a more adventurous life, 
to live a more risk-taking life, except when you do. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm about to, I'm in the, in the early process right now of planning an event called the Group's Youth Ministry Reboot. And um, we have never done this before. And I have a heart and a passion to help train youth leaders on how to be, how to use the skills of improvisation in ministry so that the impact that your ministry has on young people is much more powerful. And planned, canned things, including 20, 30 minute messages where you're the only one talking, have a very limited impact. But when you set up a plan for a pursuit and the discovery of truth about Jesus in this case, and you plan for unplanned moments where you have to improvise just the same way you and I are right now, Becky, in this conversation, we're improvising what we are saying next. These things we're talking about right now aren't on a script. We're just relating to each other. And all really great relationships are improvised. We have a sense of our presence, but we're reacting and interacting in the moment. And in ministry, that is very powerful, but very few people have been trained or learned how to be intentionally improvisational in their ministry skills. So I've invited Tommy Woodard, uh, one half of the skit guys. I coaxed him, lured him into doing this with me. He's never done anything like this before either. And the other day at a meeting, I, I said very honestly, I'm scared right now. Well, why am I scared? Because this is a big risk. I've never done this before. I have a heart for it. I feel driven to it. But now that I'm in it, now that we're starting to advertise it, oh, no. Now I have to produce this. And will this be a powerful event like I imagine in my head? Or will I screw it up somehow? Will it be worth people's time and money to come to this? Or will it be a dud? These are only questions that come when you put yourself out there, right? When you jump into the pool instead of stay on the side and dangle your feet in the water. So this process of being invited in then means, oh, but now I'm in. (laughs) And it surfaces a lot of stuff in us. I remember um, one of my favorite stories of being invited in was when about 15 years ago, we had been searching for a new church and you know how that feels like when you're trying out churches and trying to figure out is this my kindred community or not and and we had started going to this church and i loved it from the first time i was there because the pastor and this was a pretty large church it was about two 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 thousand people 2500 people the pastor i remember the first time he went there he told a joke we were sitting way in the back he told a joke that was funny and i smiled but the congregation laughed out loud and i thought I just thought inside, oh, this congregation is comfortable with each other. They trust each other and they trust him because they just laughed out loud as a, as a group. And I thought, there's something going on here in this church. And the more we went there, the more I really loved it. And the more I had this incredible respect for the pastor and what he was trying to do. And so we didn't really know how to get connected there. At the time, Bev was pregnant and on bed rest, and we were pretty limited socially, but we decided to go to the church's family camp. And they had a family camp every year where families came to camp and it was just one big fun time with a little bit of teaching thrown in. And we went to this camp and very nervous, you know, walking in the door, not knowing anybody and, oh my gosh, we're going to be with these people for three days. And we brought our kids with us. And that night after the first night, which was a really fun afternoon, 
leading into this night, I was sitting on a couch in the kind of the great room of this retreat center, and that pastor sat down next to me and introduced himself because I was new. And I told him who I was, and he started immediately connecting some of our story together. Um, and normally what would happen in that situation is a, that pastor would introduce himself to somebody he didn't know, talk to you for maybe five or ten minutes and move on. He talked to me for two hours. It was an incredible conversation. And along the path of that weekend, we kept kind of finding excuses to run into each other. And we were walking to an event and he looked at me and he said, would you even consider meeting with me every month for breakfast? And I'm thinking, you're asking me that? It was an extraordinary moment for me and a, a moment I think I'll never forget. I don't know how to explain what it feels like to to have somebody you deeply respect invite you instead of you sort of begging them <laughs> to be involved in your life. It's really powerful. And that my time in that church went on from there to being invited to be an elder and then being asked to be head of elders and then to be involved and help creating and writing sketches for this big musical comedy thing that we put on every year called Club Valentino. It was like dinner theater, only it was all comedy, not Christian comedy, just comedy and music. And uh, eventually after performing in this as, as an elder, I was asked to start writing comedy sketches for this as well. And I was invited into the team that actually creates some of this stuff. Wow, another thing that I experienced that was so incredible, but then to be invited in to help create it was amazing for me. And it also, it's not just invited into a task, it's invited into a community of people that you didn't think you would ever qualify <laughs> to be invited into. It was really powerful. It had a transforming effect on my, on my life and also my identity. It helped me to come out and play and try things that I hadn't tried so much before. And I felt delighted in being a part of a group like that, that could put something on like that. It's powerful. Um, and we've seen even some posts on the pigs page lately about people that are looking for a church like I was at that time and wondering if they were ever going to find a close kindred community. The question really is, is this longing to be invited in to be a part of a close community ever going to be fulfilled or will I always feel like that? Do you, Becky, how do you relate to that kind of feeling in general, the, the kind of broad feeling of the longing to be in, not out. And I, I, I think it's good for us to just kind of note the reason why uh, Rick and I are on here seemingly bragging about these times that we were invited in to <laughs> um, is not because we just wanted to come and tell you how important we are. That's not the reason why we're having this discussion is because on the pigs page, if you haven't joined, that's our private Facebook group for this podcast. And you can join on in the description of whatever you're listening to. But a lot of people have been asking, how do I feel more accepted at my church? That's one question that's kind of been thrown across our bow. Um, another one is like, how do I find a friendship like the one that you and Rick have? And then some people just kind of being honest, like, I don't feel like anybody around me gets me, right? Yeah. I, I just don't feel like I either, I'm, I, don't, I don't fit in in my family. I don't fit in with my friends. I don't fit in with my church. Something in Jesus has changed me and I, now I don't fit in anywhere. So that's, that's why we're talking about 
what we're talking about here is because so many of you just over the last few weeks actually have just kind of just started to throw this very vulnerably and bravely and courageously at us. And we thought this is a good time for us to have this conversation. But I have to tell you that I have gone through seasons of drought in this seasons of long, like years of drought. Um, I think of that from the time I came to Colorado in 2005 until I started group at, in 2013, I was in a season of drought from this. I, I was unable to find a church community where I felt like I, I could connect. I was unable to find friends that really could connect with me on Jesus. And I was kind of settling in life for very surface level relationships and dissatisfied with it. So that was a, I mean, I say drought and I say, I mean, that's a decade of drought almost. <laughs> and it wasn't until I started working at group and I met some people like Rick and like my friend Steph and all of my team that I worked with at group. And I, I started to find really passionate people who thought about Jesus the way that I did and who really wanted to dig into me um, and my life that way. So I completely understand this longing. Um, and just because I have it now, um, man, I remember the drought season of not having that, those kinds of relationships. And I know Rick, you and Bev even have gone through oh, yeah. series of times where you felt like you had it and then you didn't have it and you'd had it. And yeah, more, you'd have to say, honestly, more drought than rain for sure. And those drought times also are painful because of the longing that won't go away. And you can try to ease it by settling, but the settling never really obliterates the longing. You still have the longing with you. So what do you do? Like so many things in our life with Jesus, what do you do with this pain while we're in the liminal space, the in-between space of these two things? And that we also know that these things, when we feel invited inside, uh, we know that that's also tenuous. All of that that I just described that I had is all gone now. All of that insiderness within that church, that church imploded around me, and it's all gone. And sometimes when I wake up in the morning and I remember what it was like to be a part of that for this short season, it aches in me, I think, of all that was lost when that season went away. And so the, the truth is this sense of being inside or outside it, um, has transformational impact on us because we were wired by God to be inside. He has told us that what he's doing here is inviting us into his family, not as guests who stay in the guest room, but as sons and daughters who have their own room that's been decorated just for us. This is what he's inviting us into. Not that we would come in and use the guest towels in the downstairs bathroom, but that we would be just as much a part of the family as anyone else. And that there's a permanent place at the table for us, not a guest place, but a permanent place at the table. This is the profound thing he's inviting us into. And he never wants us to lose that longing we have to be a part of something deeply inside. And I have to say, the truth is that our life is lived mostly outside as outsiders. And yet, if we experience our life as being permanently inside, the one place that we must be insiders in, in the family of God, to be an insider with Jesus allows us to walk through the droughts in our life 
and I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't felt like at least with Jesus, I was inside with him when I felt like an outsider in every other area of my life. You know, this, I know that this longing goes deep. It's also on the surface. I've talked before about one of these movies that I really love, Dan in Real Life. And the reason why I love this film, Dan in Real Life, is it gives a picture of what a family looks like where everyone's an insider. I didn't really come from a family like that. We're all sort of, in our family, sort of independent contractors, I guess is the best way you could say it. We are all functioning together, but we're functioning in our own little compartments because in our family, it never felt like you were invited in to something. And so I watch Dan in real life and I see this family that is relaxed and delighted with each other and then can say hard things and do stupid things and still enclose each other as family. It goes deep into me. I can't watch that film without it touching into that longing that I have. So even though this is deep, it's right there on the surface as well. So I thought it would be good to, for us to dive into this, a couple of encounters Jesus had that are very disparate, but they're tied together by this whole sense of the transformational power of being invited in. So um, I thought we the first one we could focus on is the this encounter Jesus has with Zacchaeus. You've heard about him since you were a little kid, if you grew up in the church, because you know that song. We all know that song that you're Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yes. It's, it's sort of Irish, because we never use the word we unless it's an Irish song. Uh, so that's our nice little Christian Irish song that we all remember Zacchaeus by. And it kind of is what's funny about that is because it was a children's song, we think it's a children's story. And I guess it is but it's actually a very adult story. It's a deep story of being an outsider who's invited in. So let me just read you these, uh, the, the first 10 verses of chapter 19 of Luke. Of Luke. Uh, here's the story of Jesus encountering Zacchaeus. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. Let's just stop there for a second. Let's just recognize what chief tax collector of the region meant. He was a Jew co-opted by the Romans because of the lure of riches to betray and squeeze money out of his fellow Jews. So, so the opposite of Robin Hood. Exactly. He was stealing from the poor and giving to the rich. Yes. And he, he was the chief tax collector. He wasn't just a flunky tax collector. He was the grand poobah of tax collectors, which made him probably the most hated man within his circle of uh, Jewish friends. In fact, he probably didn't have any Jewish friends who weren't also betrayers, also reviled by those around him. So for this man to go out in public, people would cross the street to be away from him because of what he did. He was a colluder to use a common term today. So here, we'll continue with the story here. So Zacchaeus, and by the way, the crowd was certainly not going to move. So he tries to get a look at Jesus. He's too short to see. So he runs ahead and he climbs. So he runs ahead of where Jesus is walking. So he's pretty smart. He's like, if I can run ahead, maybe I can get a glimpse of this guy. We don't know why Zacchaeus is willing to risk coming out in public 
trying to muscle his way through to see Jesus. We don't know why he's so desperate to see Jesus, but he must have heard something about him. Somebody must have told him something about Jesus, or he must have seen him or heard about something he had done before that made him want to risk showing his face in a crowd and trying any way he could to see if he could get a glimpse of him. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. So he stopped, he looked up at him and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So was Jesus acting supernaturally and he just knew Zacchaeus' name? Or was Zacchaeus a bit notorious? Like everyone knew who Zacchaeus was. And so Jesus notices him, calls him by name, and he says, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. We're going to come back to what Jesus just said to him in just a second. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. I bet, I bet that word displeased is a bit stronger if we looked into its roots. Um, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Well, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, Zacchaeus is proclaiming this in front of Jesus around a crowd. He is not saying it to him privately. He is saying this to Jesus publicly. Now he's accountable before Jesus and that crowd for what he just said. I'll give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So when he says this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, he's saying he's a true Jew. He is not an outsider. He's an insider. That's what Jesus is proclaiming. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I have come to seek and save those who are outsiders. I have come to seek and invite inside those who see themselves as outside. So, uh, Becky Nader, let's go back to what Jesus said. He stops, he looks up, he calls Zacchaeus by name, and he says, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. What do you see Jesus doing here, and why is he doing it? So he's inviting himself in with an outsider. And I think that's something really important. Sometimes when we feel like we're outsiders, we're just waiting or, you know, we never think that somebody who's, you know, the head of the insiders is going to invite me, the big outsider in, right? Maybe I can stand at the sidelines and I can watch what you're doing, but I'll never be good enough to be in. Maybe I can get a glimpse of you if I just climb a tree, but that's as close as I'm going to get. That's as close as I'm ever going to get. Yeah, you're yeah. you're too important for me to ever be able to touch. I think What's we feel like that about pastors a lot of times. If you go to a big church, you might feel that way about your pastor. Like, oh, I could never go up and talk to him because, you know, he's really important. Right. And and that actually, that happens a lot. Sometimes it, in larger churches, people will often say, I have never had a conversation with my pastor because, oh, look at all the people that are around him. I've been to some really big churches and in those churches, the pastor doesn't go out into the atrium or wherever to meet people because they feel overwhelmed. I was at one large church where I, I went down and pursued the pastor 
because I wanted to introduce myself and connect with him. And in the process of talking to him, I asked if there was ever a time I could meet with him. And he said, no, I don't do that. If I did it with one person, I'd have to do it with all people. Now think about that, <laughs> the separation that you feel it's not possible for you to connect personally with even your pastor. It only accentuates this separation between the insider and the outsider. What's interesting here to me is uh, also is that Jesus doesn't say, come and have a meal with where I'm staying. Come along with my disciples and let's have a meal together. He proclaims to Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home today. He says it out loud around people who are scandalized that he's just said this. I must be a guest. Now think about this. He is a respected rabbi, so much so that these crowds have gathered just to get a glimpse of him. He is the hot new thing. And to in, in that culture, to go to someone's house meant this is an offer of friendship and sort of my stamp of approval on you. I'm coming to your house, therefore I approve of you. So Jesus, in a very public way, is saying, Zacchaeus, I approve of you. I want to come to your house. I want to honor your home with my presence. This is, by the way, starts to get at why Zacchaeus sort of reacts the way he does. We see here in the account that says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down from the tree. So he's still up there in that tree when Jesus is having this conversation with him. He climbs down from the tree and takes Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. Great excitement and joy. So what do we know about the impact that this had on Zacchaeus just from slowing down, paying better attention to what's going on here? Becky, what do you, what do you think is going on inside of Zacchaeus? Well, I love, I kind of like looking at this from two different angles. If you're the outsider or if you're the insider, right? So if you're the outsider, what a joy it was for him to be called in, to be shown that he, can't, he could be important enough to someone that important who was on the inside. Like what, what did, what you brought joy to his heart, like you're, you're shaping their life. On the other side of it, like to be the insider who brings someone from the outside in, what that does for your life as well, um, for you to be open enough to recognize, you know what, this person looks like they're on the outside and they don't seem to think that they maybe belong. I'm going to change that. I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to close off my clicks or whatever it is that's going on. I'm going to say, Hey, I want you to, I want to spend some time with you. I'm calling you from the outside to the inside. That is just as powerful actually to be that person too. Yeah. Um, and here, and here Jesus is intentionally being a catalyst for transformation in Zacchaeus's life. He's doing the scandalous by inviting him in. He, he's saying, no longer will you be an outsider and proclaiming to people at the end, that this man, salvation has come to him and to his home because he's a true Jew. And what he's really saying here is that I came to seek and save those who are lost and Zacchaeus has taken me up on that. My in invitation to be inside, Zacchaeus jumped at it. He climbed out of the tree and said, right away, Jesus, come right now. His response to Jesus' invitation to come in wasn't, 
oh, I, I really couldn't come to your house, Jesus. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who these people think I am? Wouldn't this put you in a bad place if I came to your house? Maybe I should come at night when nobody can see? No, he, Zacchaeus, with gusto, responds to Jesus' invitation and says, absolutely, can you come right now? It's this response to Jesus' invitation that Jesus then responds to and says, yep, that, there's salvation because you invited me in, Zacchaeus. I love this story because I, I think even though we may not be as reviled as Zacchaeus is within his culture, we know what it feels like to be the outsider in the tree, to think I can only get this close, and to have Jesus stop, notice, pay attention, call you by name, and then invite himself in to honor your, your home and who you are, it changes everything. And we know it changes everything because Zacchaeus said, uh, I'll give half everything my, I have to the poor, and I'll make it up to the people I cheated by giving them four times back. His response is profound. He's, he can't be generous enough. He can't be grateful enough for what's happened to him. We see a similar story, but in totally different circumstances in John chapter 4, when Jesus meets up with the notorious woman at the well. We won't read the whole story here. Jesus and the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4. It's a familiar story. Uh, the disciples leave Jesus by a well outside the city of Sychar, and they go inside the walls to the town to uh, scrounge up some food. And Jesus is alone in the midday at this well when a notorious woman who's had, you know, five, five husbands already, and she's living with a man now, shows up to get some water from the well when no other gossipy women will be there. And Jesus engages her. See, she asks her to give him a drink. And he's not supposed to do that because Jews are not supposed to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she first is shocked that he's a Jew and a man who's the two of them are alone at the well and he's asking her for a drink. And uh, Jesus is so playful and so inventive and so shrewd in the way that he relates to her. Here's a woman who's the ultimate outsider. She's so outside, she doesn't even want to be around the insiders because it would be too painful. The, the, she knows what she's going to get, which is the cold shoulder. So Jesus, the first thing he does is invite her to serve him. Would you get me a drink of water? And she says, uh, you're not supposed to be doing that. Do you know who I am? That's such a familiar feeling. Like I'm thinking about your story that you led the, the episode off with, Becky, about kind of that thought that goes through our minds when, we, when we've been invited in by someone we didn't, when we didn't expect it. One of our first thoughts is, do you know who I am? Do you realize that I'm not maybe the, the kind of caliber of person that you have already? I mean, do you really know who you're inviting here? That feeling, and what did you call it before that, not self-diminishing, what did you call that that goes on inside of you? I think that I'm more the kind of person who would be behind that person, maybe serving them, but not alongside them. Yeah, you, you said something about, and I think this is true for all of us, for the sake of safety, we are self-diminishers. We, we diminish ourselves. I did it with the, my, my pastor friend when he sat down on the couch next to me. I kept expecting him to leave at any moment. Like, of course you would leave. You're just doing this out of politeness, right? Mm -hmm. But he stayed two hours because he enjoyed me. 
what? <laughs> wow. So here Jesus is doing something she doesn't expect. And he asks her for a drink. And then he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you'd ask me right now. And I would give you living water. And this starts a whole chain of events in this woman's life where she's like, what the heck are you talking? What is living water? She doesn't get it immediately. She doesn't get that what he's offering is himself. He's offering relationship with himself. And she, by the end of this encounter, what becomes apparent is she's not talking to some random guy at the well who's acting weird by not treating her like the Samaritan she is. She's talking to the Messiah. And that's exactly what she says to all the gossipy people behind the walls of Sicker when she goes running back there to tell them, I think I have just met the Messiah, a man who's told me everything about my life. And what she really means is, I just got invited in by the Messiah. It's unbelievable. Hey, all of you people who are also outsiders, you better come out to the well because if this guy can invite me in, I bet he would invite you in too. So here's this story that we have where Jesus first unveils the reality. He, he, uh, he kind of proves to her, yeah, I know who you are. And in our invitational stories, when we're invited in, um, there, there has to come that moment where the person who's inviting us says, I know who you are. I even hear that in some in your story, uh, Becky. What, this, this is also putting you on the spot. Uh -oh. But this, this is going to be hard. This, I'm going to stretch you here. Why do you think uh, – I forgot the woman's name who first reached out to you. What is her name again? Tiffany Smiley. Tiffany. So why do you think Tiffany invited you in? What do you think she saw or heard in you that made her want to invite you in further? I told I think, you it be stretching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I know that what she read on Instagram was a little bit, not a lot, a little bit about what happened to me last year. Um, and, and not just that a little bit about what happened to me, but also what she saw was somebody who was going to rise out of it. And that's what she's on a mission to find is women who want to rise above the shameful things that have happened in their life. And even though at that time I was barely staying above the water, <laughs> I definitely was not rising above it. I think what she saw was somebody that was going to, and that she wanted to be at my side when I did. And then she wanted to be there to help me help other women rise out of it too. Right. And embedded in what you're saying is that she sensed you had something great to give. She, so Jesus says, don't put your pearls before swine. What he means is don't throw your treasure in front of people who can't understand what a treasure that is. But he's also implying, and I see your treasure. Yeah. It's okay to put your pearls before me because I notice what's treasured about you. I see it right away. Um, I've had this experience with people before. I've had this experience with you, Becky. We've talked before about how it took very little, I, it took very little time for me to start working with you before I saw, wow, she's got something. She, she's really talented. She's really a remarkable person. It took me very little time to understand that about you. And when we're around people who are paying attention and seem to, for some crazy reason, 
I really get you. Wow, I can't believe I ran into you. Wow, I can't believe you posted on our Instagram site. Wow, this response of wow is what we hope we can experience, but we don't expect it. We don't think it's going to happen. And when it does, and in this case, when Jesus goes wow to this woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you might ask me to give you what I've got. Not only am I inviting you to get me a drink of water, I'm inviting you into relationship. Whoa, he's got to take baby steps because this is so outlandish, so out of the box, so unexpected for this woman that he knows he's going to have to slowly move toward this. So he asks her lots of questions because there's no way she could just simply accept it from the get-go. He has to move slowly toward her until she actually believes that what he's offering is real. And by the end of this encounter, he does. Anything else that you notice um, about what Jesus did here and why he did it in this story? When you think about this story, Becky, is there something that sticks out to you about something that Jesus did and whatever he was doing there, why he would do that? I think that he saw that she felt like she could never ever be in a place where she could belong again. Hmm. Like that I'm too far gone. Yeah. You know, people mess up sometimes, but I'm one of those people who it's too late for me. Right. I didn't, I didn't mess up. I am a mess up. I am a mess up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't go, don't go wasting your time here, Jesus, because Um, I'm not one of those people who just made some small mistakes. I made the biggest mistakes and I did it multiple times and there's no, there's, there's nothing left worth risking here for me. And she, her response when he says, go get your husband and bring him here. And she says very slyly, "Uh, I don't have a husband. Then what he does next is let me prove to you that I see exactly who you are. And when I tell you that I know exactly who you are and still invite you, you will know I'm not messing around here. So when Jesus reflects back to her, yeah, I know you've been married five times and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. He's saying, I'm not inviting you out of ignorance. I'm inviting you seeing exactly who you are. Now, this is the profound thing that transforms this woman's life. She has never met anyone who's done this and the cherry on the top is she discovers and he's the son of god mm-hmm. he's the messiah doing this whoa this changes everything the old testament law that said you're banished into not belonging forever because you are unredeemable jesus here is saying not on my watch if you will respond to my invitation you can be redeemed right now, just as you are. That's the extraordinary thing that dawns on this woman. And again, I think it's so fascinating. This is one of the longer encounters Jesus has that we know about in scripture. And I think it's a long encounter because of all of the baggage that has to be pulled out into the open and the slow pace that he has to go to before the invitation that he gives her, uh, she can actually respond to it by saying yes. She is so wrapped up in her unredeemedness that he has to move a little bit slowly. So when we think then, Becky, about, so it's all fine and good to talk about being invited in, but really the longing is telling us how do we get invited in? You didn't script 
or plan for or strategize or leverage your way to getting invited into the more than me movement, it happened. So then we're left with thinking, well, if this just happens like lightning striking where it wants to, then I'm stuck. It either strikes or it doesn't, and I'm stuck living here in the desert. But I love, we had a, a conversation earlier this week about, well, what does that mean for us then? And I loved what you said about what, what the precursor, the on-ramp to being invited in really is. Would you go back into that, the whole idea of, of giving without expecting to receive? I, I love what you said about that before. I think that when we come into a church, when we come into a group, um, when we're looking for friends, that our tendency is to think about what we're gonna get out of it. And we also tend to idealize what it's going to look like when we get what we wanna get. And I can say that if I look back on the most wonderful friendships of my life, it was either I came in with a mindset of what can I give here? And I just intentionally gave and gave until that person was like, oh, I really trust you because you're always for me and you're always here to serve. And so now I'm going to start giving back to you. I'm going to start opening up more to you. Um, and those relationships have, have blossomed and opportunities have blossomed because I had a mentality of what can I come in and give to this situation? And on the flip side, I would say that when I was in seasons where I just needed somebody to reach out to me and I didn't maybe have something to give, I've had relationships that saw that and just started coming in and serving my needs to the point where I, I suddenly was like, where did this person even come from in my life? And now they're the most important, one of the most important people in my life. So um, I think that when we have a give when our mindset is service and when our mindset is giving. Um, and I'm going to say not just in your church, but I have my family. When I first became a Christian, that was a very, uh, <laughs> that was hard for my family. It, it was different. They, I was different at first. I didn't really know how to handle the family dynamic. Suddenly my sisters who I was really close to didn't really want to talk to me about anything because I was so sensitive or something. Then, you know, over time, I just kept being the person that would just be there for them, serve, 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 serve. And over years and years, their respect for my faith grew and grew. Um, and when they went through hard times and, or when I went through hard times and they saw what got me through that, it really, really made a difference. So whether it's, I need friendships or I'm not fitting into my family dynamic anymore because that family dynamic doesn't understand my faith. I would say that focusing on what we can give is what, what really gets you there. And I was in church this Sunday and the pastor told a story about his a friend of his from high school who played football with him. And then somewhere around freshman year, he had some health problems and he couldn't, it wasn't safe for him to play anymore. So he didn't want to leave the team. And so he became like the team water boy, you know, and he was like the best water boy. He was always there. He was always serving. And he went on to do that in college with these, with these guys. And he passed away. I think these health issues, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but I think these health issues continued to deteriorate for him and he passed away. 
And the pastor, our, our church is a pretty large church here. It's the largest church in, in central Oregon. And so, I mean, he, he was like, that he had 4,000 people show up at his funeral. They had to pack an entire high school stadium for his funeral. And the pastor was just sharing like, I won't have that many people show up at my funeral. <laughs> I may have a couple hundred, <laughs> but this guy, I was a better football player. I was a better, you know, I was more popular. I was all this stuff. I was a great speaker from the time I was in high school. I had great grades and girlfriends and the whole deal. And there's no way that at the end of my life, I would have packed 4,000 people into a funeral. And that's because this guy spent his entire life just focusing on giving to the community, whatever community and in whatever way that was around him. And I think that's, that's where we can really make the most inviting relationships in our life. So, and giving is within our control. Mm -hmm. Giving is within what we can give. Um, and the, there's a phrase that you often hear in political circles, it's quid pro quo, which means if I give, I expect to get something out of this. We have a wink wink agreement that if I do this for you, you'll do this for me. And that is a transactional way of giving. It's contingent on what you get back. And uh, often we will only give in transactional ways because it's too vulnerable to give without expecting to receive back. Um, the, but the truth is, the more we sink ourselves into the vine who is Jesus, he is the source of giving without expecting to get back. Jesus gives and gives and gives and doesn't get back every moment of the day. It does not change his fundamental default setting that he is wired to give. He is the most generous of anyone who has ever lived. Jesus gives and gives and gives. He gives to the point of death. So when we are connected into him, we get that same life flowing up into us. And remarkably, miraculously, as we give way to him in us, we can give without expecting transactionally to be able to mark that off as a good investment of giving. We just give because that's what we do. Um, and as we give because that's what we do, we sort of flip this switch inside that says, you know what? I'm going to give just because I'm giving. When we do that, things open up, invitations open up to us, not because they, they're supposed to. I remember in our new church that I'm going to, I was asked by the pastor, he just, for some reason, tapped me on the shoulder in this big crowd after a service one day and asked me to go help pray for a woman who is facing a life-threatening cancer surgery. And I walked in there with all, and joined the circle with all this woman's close friends and family. And there I am, who am I? She doesn't even know me. This pastor invited me, asked me, would you pray for her? And I gave to her in the way that I prayed. I didn't just pray the perfunctory prayer that you brainstorm when you're praying for somebody who needs healing. I made myself vulnerable and asked Jesus, what do you want me to say or pray for this woman? And then I took a risk and did that with her. And I walked out of that encounter. And about a week later, that pastor invited me to be a part of this little group of people that was helping him brainstorm his sermon series. And I thought, wow, this is so fun for me to be able to be invited into that little group to help give to what he's doing. I would have loved to be invited into that from the beginning, but it was preceded by simply a decision to lean into giving 
all of the time, no matter whether I'm ever invited in or not. It, it didn't matter to me. It came to me as a total shock that he asked me into this thing. And if he invited me into something tomorrow, it would be a total shock to me, a surprise, because I'm not expecting it. What I do want to orient my life around is a preference to give. And I think that's what we're talking about, is that we enter into our relationships and our situations with a preference to give. The, the question then is also, that's a vulnerable thing to give in that way. It's also vulnerable to invite, to invite the invitation, <laughs> to stay vulnerable instead of protective, to, to be open instead of dismissive, to walk through the door when the door is open instead of stand outside the door and say, not me. You can't really mean me. We do what Zacchaeus did, what this woman at the well did. We walk in. We take Jesus up on his invitation. We take the invitation of those who invite us in and walk through their door. So if you're, if you're in touch with this longing, it's a vulnerable thing to make a decision inside. I will respond to the invitation when it's offered. I will invite others in. And as you said before, Becky, maybe I can also be a source of transformation by inviting the outsider in. Any last words you want to uh, say about any of this as far as our own posture towards being invited in and giving anything, any last words you want to end with here, Becky? I would just say if you're in a place where you don't feel like the community around you, maybe you're in a small town or something and you just... There's nobody there. I, I can tell you just from being involved with the More Than Me gals for the last few months, how many of them know each other because they started following them on Instagram and said, that's the kind of person that I want to be around more. And so they just started reaching out and saying, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And then they started flying across the country to be face-to-face -face, and they started being on video conference calls weekly and they started talking on the phone and on Marco Polo and they started getting into each other's lives. And so with technology, remember, you can't hide behind it. That's not a relationship. I never would have gotten deeper with these women if we hadn't seen face-to-face, -face. but you can find community. And sometimes if you just say, I want to be around people like that more, then don't be afraid to, to just reach out and start saying, how can I be in your circle more? I think you would actually be surprised how many people would be more willing to have more community um, and that that is possible. Um, and the last thing I just want to say is if you are one of those people like the women at the well who feels like, well, but Becky, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far gone I am. I say no to that. Like I say absolute no to that. That's the enemy holding you back. And it's time for you to step out of that cage, whatever it is, because we are never too far gone for Jesus to take us in, for anyone to take us in. And, so. and, we've, and you know, that's such a beautiful way to end this episode. And for those of you listening right now, I want to invite you in now. Becky mentioned the, the Facebook page that we call The Pigs. There, we'll put a link for it on the episode page for this podcast. This is season four, episode seven. You can, and actually you can click on any episode of paying ridiculous attention to Jesus and you'll find a link to join the pigs page. This is our invitation to you to join that community. We are inviting you in. If you want to be part of a group of people that 
is generous toward each other and willing to risk and humble enough to offer themselves, their time, their vulnerability to each other, well, this is a place. And it's also a place that Becky and I hang out in. We're there too. And we're inviting you in to this community. So if you're longing for a connection mitigated by technology as it is, but it is a connection. If you're longing for that, here's a community for you. It's the pig's page where people who long to go all in with Jesus like to hang out. So I invite you in there today. Next week, who knows what will be happening. It'll be just me or maybe I'll have a special someone to interview the next episode. But in two episodes, the Beckinator will be back. And in that episode, we'll be kicking off a new series of podcast episodes, a new theme. I don't even know what it'll be yet. So I can't wait to see what Jesus will where he will take us starting in March. Becky, I hope your chaotic day now is coming to a chaotic close. Hopefully. I head to Seattle tomorrow, so I'll be at the More Than Me event in Seattle. And also, I'm launching a new podcast next Tuesday for More Than Me. So the same day, I, I guess, that this episode is going to release. Um, but go check out the More Than Me Movement website because we will be launching episode number one, and I am the host of that show. Hey, gang, thanks for listening. Remember, you can find out more information, but in further detail on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com. Just looking for our podcast section there in season four, episode seven. And believe it or not, it's uh, prep time for the Easter season. It's uh, coming up on us, and a great way to lead up to that is by getting a new devotion changing it up a little bit. If you're looking for something to uh, capture your, your attention, then change it up. Get a new devotion. We have a, a bunch of really accessible Jesus-centered devotions that you can take your pick from, including Center Your Life on Jesus and Growing Spiritual Grit. That's, uh, that's a, a little hardback devotion my friend Michael Kiefer created, Drawn In, which is an incredibly creative, interactive devotion. We, which is a marriage devotion that could help you and your spouse focus on Jesus as you're heading into Easter, and the Jesus Interruption, a fantastic devotion that our, our buddy uh, Steph created. And uh, if you have teenagers in your house, you might want to pick up the Jesus-Centered Life 40 Devotions for Teenagers. It's a little devotion book. My friend Jeff Storm, who's the art director who worked with me on my magazine for years, helped create this incredibly creative thing along with Kurt Johnston. Uh, so if you have a teenager in your house, the Jesus Center Life 40 Devotions for Teenagers could be for you. So look at the cornucopia of options you have, even though cornucopia is supposed to be for the fall. Anyway, check those out. We'll have links on our page for all of those things. And again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever the heck you find your podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.